Welcome to the Females on Fire podcast. I'm Haley Luckadoo, educator, website designer, wedding planner, and big dreamer who took a hobby business born out of a college dorm room and turned it into a successful multi-business empire. I run on hard work and Dr. Pepper, and if it comes in pink, you better believe I want it. This podcast is for women in almost any industry who want the resources and inspiration to do what sets their soul on fire. I'll interview women who are exceptional at what they do to bring you the tools and knowledge that you need to succeed and to create the life you dream of. Welcome to this episode of Females on Fire. I am super excited about this episode because my dear friend Christina Scalera is here. Uh, and many of you know her from the contract shop. And we actually got to meet recently in real life, which was awesome for me. So I am nerding out on this episode. So Christina, thank you so, so much for being here with us. Yeah, thanks, Haley. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, thank you. So for those that don't know you, that may be living under a rock, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got to be where you are and tell us all about the contract shop and how that came into existence? Sure. Yeah. So the contract shop came into existence because, um, well, it's, it's a long story that I'll condense down for you guys, because I think some of it's important if you are an entrepreneur to hear about, not just because this is my story and I'm so awesome, but mostly because it, I think mimics a lot of what a lot of you are trying to get out of. Um, I know I was really stuck in a place. And so what happened was I was in a corporate nine to five job. I loved what I did. Um, I loved my job. So I wasn't like how do I escape this? But I actually ran into a big health scare and basically had to dramatically change my life. Um, I could have peeled back and stopped working a hundred hours a week, but I just knew that wasn't like, that wasn't going to be realistic. <laughs> I just knew myself and I, I just, I'm, I'm either all in or nothing. So I quit my job. Um, it was kind of scary and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was looking around and I had a business friend that was a former business attorney turned private yoga instructor in DC. And I was like, well, that seems to be working out really well for her. I'll try that out too. So I did the whole like quarter life crisis, got my yoga certification, set up shop, um, you know, put up a, a blog and a, had a logo and all this other stuff, right? Like that's what you do when you start a business. But the problem is, as some of you are aware, not everybody wants to work with you as soon as you open your doors. <laughs> It's really hard to get clients when you're first starting out. And so I struggled for about six months to make this thing work and, you know, was blogging, guest blogging on like mind body green and like big websites. And I still was just like not getting any clients and it was so frustrating. And so finally, you know, going to all these networking events, trying to get my name out there, trying to, you know, teach yoga for free and all this other stuff. And finally two people at this one, like kind of ritzy networking event were like, I want to work with you like, that's it. Just send me the thing. I want, I want to work with you like tomorrow. Well, tomorrow came and went and about 14 other tomorrows came and went. And in that time I took, um, I, I spent a lot of it creating a client contract, which sounds kind of funny because 
I'm an attorney. I should just like know how to do that. Right. I took a contract drafting class from literally the woman who wrote the book on contract drafting uh, for all the law schools in the United States. And I should just know that. Right. But I didn't. And I didn't have a bank of contracts that I could just like pull out and use. So I had to make this thing up from scratch, from uh, tools, from resources, from friends that had sent me things. And it took me two weeks to pull this thing together so that it was in a condition that I was uh, comfortable or even proud of sending out to these clients. And then on top of that, I wanted to be beautiful because, you know, that's, I thought that was like everything of the time. So I, I, I made it in Photoshop, which is like the worst place possible to make any kind of word document. Um, Cause every time you put a space in, it bumps the next word to the next page. And it's, it's just like a disaster. So two weeks later I send this beautiful, but you know, two week late contract to these two clients. And both of them had just about the same reaction. Basically they were like, who are you? What? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm working with a personal trainer now. I, I, I don't want, I don't want to work with you anymore. I found somebody else. And I was devastated at first. I was like, wow, you know, I, I was paralyzed by perfection and it, it killed this deal for me. Uh, with both, with these two people that were willing to pay me literally thousands of dollars to come to their homes and basically put them on a bunch of props and like play some oming music to them. How did I screw that up? But, you know, I also thought, okay, here I am. I'm, I'm this top 20 law school grad and I can't even do this for myself. So what chances like a regular yoga teacher who, I don't know, maybe she didn't go to college. Maybe she, you know, didn't go to law school. Like, what chances does she have to put this contract together? What chances like these graphic designers that I'm working with who send you these like one pager comp contract templates that are barely contracts, like what chance do they have to actually have something legitimate that they can send to clients? And so it was that combined with um, more or less a pep talk from my friend, Jenna Kutcher and um, another friend, Kirstie Murray, she's an equine photographer who basically was like, I want that. Like, can you just copy and paste whatever you made and give it to me. Um, and so it was kind of like these three things combined that helped me to start the contract shop. And at the time I just called it my name because, you know, you just got to get started. And about a year in, I changed it to the contract shop. That's so awesome. And I feel like most of the best businesses are that way. Like they happen when you weren't really thinking about going into that business. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know what was next. It was really scary. And I was like, this yoga stuff is not paying the bills. And I just honestly, like, I just honestly, I looked for what was like, what were people struggling with? And this was the consistent thing that kept coming up for me. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think anytime you can move towards a problem that people have and solve that problem for you, or for them, um, you're in such better shape, like looking for the problems in your marketplace and not just like trying to make up the same problems is sometimes a better fit. If you're looking to work for yourself. Um, and if you're looking to build a business that isn't just, you know, you're struggling in a sea of, of red. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Absolutely. So where has the contract shop come since then? Cause I mean, I know you've got templates for sale and you know, your name gets passed around a lot when people are looking for that type of stuff. So 
how did you like scale that business to what it is? Yeah, sure. Well, that's first of all, very kind of you to say that makes me feel good. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm glad the, the words getting out there about what we do, what we sell. Um, it's, it's myself and, and my team right now that, that run and manage it. And, um, basically the way that we scaled up to where we were was consistently looking at what was doing well and doing more of that, which sounds so basic, but I didn't do that for a long time. Um, what I did for a long time instead, and I think a lot of people do this starting out is I would look at what everybody else was doing and say, how do I make a product that that's like my twist on that? How do I do a Facebook live series? That's like my twist on that instead of looking or, you know, how do I grow an Instagram following? Um, instead of looking at the fact that like Instagram is where, you know, maybe, maybe an eighth of our, our website traffic comes from mm -hmm. instead, we could focus on these other, you know, top two sources and really blow it out of the water. And so that's what we did. And yeah, sure. Like I still play on those platforms, but it's not like I'm consistently posting on, on platforms that aren't really working for us. Um, and that's, that's a strategic move because we, I, I focus all of my time and, um, you know, contractors and resources and money on the platforms that are really moving the needle for us and helping us scale rather than doing what everybody else is doing or, you know, having some vanity metric, like a follower count, um, you know, because I'm not, I'm not an influencer. I'm just a business owner. So, you know, that, that to me, like if I was an influencer, it might be different. Um, but you know, that to me is not, is not moving the needle. And even though it's, it's fun and sexy and cool to have so many followers, it, it doesn't help my business at all. So it's, it's hard to make those decisions because you, you want to do everything or you want to do what other people are doing, or you don't want to feel left behind. But I think it's really important if you want to see any real growth in your company to look at what is working for you, even if it's like the tiniest little bit of the needle moving and just do more of that. Yeah. I think you really hit on something there that everybody needs to hear when you said, I'm not an influencer, I'm just a business owner. Because I think that's where a lot of people really get stuck. And especially as like, if you're a newer business and you're really trying to grow and scale, I think everybody feels like they have to be an influencer. So I love that you said that and that you're sort of an example of somebody who's willing to say, no, I'm not an influencer. No, I don't spend a hundred percent of my time on these platforms, but I'm still making it work and you still have a successful business. So I think that's really awesome. What was the process like for you and what challenges do you feel like you sort of had to overcome to build a creative business in a field that really isn't typically considered creative? Because obviously when we think of legal anything, we don't really think of like the creative side of things and you really married the two. So how did you start that process and how did you sort of overcome challenges that came along in doing that? Yeah, for sure. I think where I'm coming from is, is as a creative, like I always saw myself as a creative person who went to law school. <laughs> um, and what I mean by that is like, yeah, sure. Like I've stepped in, I've second shot weddings. I, you know, can do my own graphic design work in Photoshop or in design. Um, even though I'm not like professionally trained, I'm just like an amateur and it definitely shows, but like I can step into those platforms and do that kind of stuff. Um, all of my friends are calligraphers or photographers. So, you know, it's just like this, like natural, like, I feel like I'm one of them almost like I would, you know, a business coach or 
maybe like a strategist or someone would fit in with that crowd. Um, so even though I'm not, you know, out there shooting weddings all the time and trying to build a quote unquote creative business per se, I still see it that way. So it's, it's, to me, it's more like creative with a touch of legal than like legal with a touch of creative. Um, and that's how I try to frame my products and, and deliver those to the customers as well, because that's what they're familiar with. And so the more, um, like trustworthy, like the more familiar we can make the products to them with what they're used to, uh, as far as like deliver, uh, delivery of like online digital products. So you guys are all used to buying courses and then having maybe like a consumption sequence with like, you know, five days of emails that introduce you to the course or the course creator or something like that. So we try to do that with our, our templates as well and just make it something that's, that feels like home and, and is like comfortable because I never want people to feel scared of the legal stuff in their business. And um, that's definitely a departure from most attorneys because I think a lot of people try to scare people into buying their products and that's never been my marketing philosophy. In fact, I've had to stop several Facebook ads agencies we've worked with in the past and kind of pull them aside and be like, do not use this copy because it's scary. <laughs> um, you know, I, I like, you don't have a photographer like scaring you into brand photography or, uh, you know, a website designer that's like, you're never going to have a business if you don't have a website or they, some probably say that, but you know, you can make anything work. Um, it's just a matter of you choosing that that's what you need in your life. And obviously I believe that everybody needs to take care of their legal ish to get their stuff in order. Uh, you know, that's going to happen no matter whether you choose it now or someone else forces you to do it later, it's going to have to happen at some point. And so my stance is just that, you know, these are all responsible, willing adults, and uh, I don't need to scare people into, into buying stuff. They'll, they'll naturally see where that organization and that um, just that help of just having your business foundationally set up will come into play at a certain point. Just like, you know, you, you have blog posts, you post to social media, like you do all these things as a foundation to build your business. And I just see the legal stuff as one more component of that. Yeah. And I, I feel like too, that, that has really contributed to why you've been so successful because I feel like that's sort of everything now. Everybody's pushing so hard to sell their stuff that nobody wants to sort of take a step back and say, well, wait, what do you need? And so I like that, you know, you said earlier, you, you found a need in, in a market, you found what you were struggling with and you turned it into a business and and I think you're right that everybody's just trying to hop on whatever sort of bandwagon is trendy at the time and, and not really come from a place of service necessarily. So I love that. I love that you're, you know, that you look at it that way and that you're not trying to necessarily threaten people into buying your stuff. <laughs> yeah, I don't That would just, I don't know. It would just feel really icky. I, I would not sleep well at night. Yeah, totally agree. So what's your advice to someone who is trying to find that balance of sort of the, the business entrepreneurial side of their business and the creative side? Like, what would you say to them to really bring the two together? <laughs> You're not going to like this. I would say don't. <laughs> okay. uh, go all in with one or the other at a time. So for me, when I'm mapping out a like a strategy for a launch or 
um, you know, looking at what new products we need to create or how we can make our products better. I like, it's not a really creative space for me. It's, it's more like a put your head down and write on paper. Um, Cause I, I tend to do better on paper than like a Google doc, but I think it's really important to have that time. Um, and that definitely consumes a lot more of my life than the creative space. But I also think it's equally important to compartmentalize, put that business thing aside and then walk in to something creative. I don't really see a point to marrying the two, um, I, I like to do them separately and then just kind of naturally allow those things to come together. You know, I, I think it's just important to focus on one thing at a time in every area of your life, um, which includes your business. So focusing on one, uh, one project at a time, one client at a time, um, or, you know, like if, if that means like one client a day, like I get that you guys are working with multiple clients or customers or something. Um, but just focusing on that one thing and not having like Slack open or your email open as you are working with a client or not trying to do, not trying to be like a creative person and think about how you could improve your photography in the same hour that you're thinking about how you could make more money by offering a different service as a photographer, if that makes any sense. No, it absolutely does. That's great advice. I love it. I love that it wasn't the the same old, same advice that you hear all over the place. So I, I actually really enjoyed that. I, I think everybody needs to read. I think it's called The One Thing. It's, okay. um, I believe it's by the, the two founders of Remax. Uh, that and Greg McKeown's book, which I think it's just called Essentialism. I honestly, I forget the titles of books because they're just my Audible app. <laughs> um, but yeah, so The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan, and then also Greg McKeown's um, Essentialism book. I think those two are like must-reads. And The E-Myth um, by Michael Gerber. I think all those three books are like must-reads. Those will change your business. And of course, there's like more contemporary books too that are super helpful. And Mike Michalowicz just kills it on that front. But man, I resisted focusing on things for a long time and it really hurt my business. I'd be so much further along if I had just done one project at a time, um, you know, focused on one thing every day, gotten one thing done that I needed to do instead of trying to get three things done. So I think focus is, <laughs> it's so cliche, but it's like the best and fastest way to get ahead. Yeah, that's awesome. And I've read the E-Myth, but I haven't read the other two. So I'll have to look those up. So everybody knows they need a contract, but why is it so important to have one? And why can't people just go grab like a free template offline and use that as their contract? Sure. Yeah. So your contract for me, and I think for most people that have been in business any decent amount of time, that is the foundation of your client experience. So it's one of the, it, it's probably, if not the first document that they get to see from you, it's one of the first. And it is what cements your working relationship with somebody in not just a legal sense, but also it's going to set the tone. It's the way that you send your contract tells them how or if you will respect their time. And what I be, mean by that is, um, you know, when people ask me to sign something and scan or fax it back to them, like a physical copy, I'm incredibly hesitant to work with that person because I'm like, how else are they going to be wasting my time during our working relationship versus somebody that 
ask me to sign their contract and I can easily review it conveniently from any device that I have, whether I'm on the train to the airport or, you know, sitting at my desk on a laptop. Um, I can sign it with my finger if I need to. I can sign it with my computer with an e-signature that captures my IP address. That's what it's doing, just FYI, if, if you do sign things online. Um, so I think it's it really sets the tone for that relationship. And then, you know, what's inside as well. Like if you have a contract that people don't understand and it just, it, it feels so icky to me. And then also if I'm on the other side of that, like even as an attorney, I don't want to read something that taxes my brain. I already have enough going on. Just give it to me straight, give it to me forward. Um, explain this in plain English, like pretend like I'm an idiot so that it's super clear and super concise. I think it was Einstein that said that if you can't explain something simply, you don't know the topic well enough. And so I think the same thing goes for your contract. Like if you are sending clients a contract that first of all, you don't understand. And second of all, you know, you're expecting them to understand. It's just, it's a recipe for disaster because neither of you understand what is actually going on. So is that even legally valid? I don't know, maybe not. So I think it's it's really important on a couple different fronts. The first is building trust with the client, showing them that you know you are wanting to communicate with them on their level, um, which their level is probably a busy person who doesn't have time to read a very complicated, long legal document. Now that doesn't mean it has to be a short contract. It could be long. I mean, my contracts are decently long because they, they have everything they need in them but they're very, very straightforward. So, you know, I try to write them at like an eighth grade reading level. It's hard to go below that for me, but um, that's like a vast improvement over what I usually get in my inbox asking me to sign things. So yeah, I think it's, it's important to have something that sets the client up for success, um, that gets them to trust you, that clearly outlines your expectations of, the, of them, basically, mostly like how and when are they going to pay you um, <laughs> and anything else you need from them. So, you know, maybe you need things on time. Maybe that's really important for moving this project forward, that kind of thing. Maybe they, they have to show up on a certain day, like their wedding day. So having those clear expectations outlined and then, you know, again, building the trust by outlining what the client can expect from you, how you're going to be delivering things, what you're actually going to be delivering. Having that clear list is a lot easier to go back and point to than to play a game of he said, she said later on. Um, so I think that's why it's important. And the reason why you can't just get one for free off, I mean, you could just get one for free off the internet. I'm not saying you can't, it's impossible. It's definitely possible. They're all over the place. But the reason why you would pay for something is well, I, I can't speak for other people who sell templates because I don't know. I just don't follow people that are quote unquote my competitors. But for us, at least, we provide our customers with a like tip to tail solution. So we know this is something that can be scary and difficult for people to get a handle on um, and to understand. And so we try to break this down into different little steps that they can take. So they actually understand what it is that they're sending their clients um, so for example, we're in the process, all of our contracts will soon come with something that we call a hold my hand guide, where I walk you through each provision of the contract so that when a client has a question and they're like, I don't, I don't understand, you know, the language in this cancellation thing. Can we change it? Blah, 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 blah. Well, instead of you saying, I don't know, you know, I don't even know what my contract says. You can go back to your hold my hand guide, watch a two to three minute video of me explaining this section, why it exists, what's in there. 
Um, you know, why the language that I put in there is there. And you can decide for yourself as an educated, informed customer of the contract shop, whether that's a provision that you want to keep or change, um, because it's not foreign to you anymore. You understand it. So, or even better, you have an answer for a client. So you don't sound like a, like a dummy, you know, when they're like, what does this mean? And you can't answer them. Well, now you can. So that's just one example. We also have like a ton of other bonuses that come with our contracts just because we want to make sure that, you know, if you have a contract, hopefully you're booking a lot of clients and working with a lot of people. And we want to help you do more of that because then you need more of our contracts, quite frankly. Um, so we want to help people be successful because I, like I said, I really see the contract just as one stepping stone in the entire client experience. Um, and it's a really important one because it's there at the beginning. And so you can get a free one online, but you don't know like how well that's going to turn out for you. You don't know what the customer support, if any, is going to be like. Um, you don't get any extra stuff that comes along with the contract to explain it to you. You have to edit and, and change it yourself. And then, you know, quite frankly, part of why the contract shop I think has been so successful is because where else are you going to find something so tailored to your industry by somebody who knows it? Like I don't create a contract template without putting myself into the shoes of that service provider first. So, you know, if I haven't shot a wedding, as a photographer, there is not a contract template. I have. So there is a contract template in my shop. Um, like I understand what it's like to be really hungry after working for 12 hours because the bride asked you to show up early and she was four hours late. You know, like I get that. I've been there. And so I think those are the kinds of things that you're just not going to get from doing this for free online. Um, plus, you know, I, I see it almost like as if you guys have ever followed like away the travel bag company they just sell suitcases you can buy that anywhere you can buy it at target you can buy it at marshall's like who cares but i recently went ahead and and bought one um and i was like why did i buy this you know i could buy this anywhere i could get this for like a third of the price if not even less than that and I was thinking about it and i was like this is a lot like my templates you know like i just paid a premium price for this suitcase because I know that the customer service is going to be amazing. If there's ever a problem, I can go back to them and they're going to fix it for me, just like we would for our customers. I know that it's going to continue to enjoy updates throughout its life cycle. So for example, um, Away just changed out their battery packs and they just, without, without um, telling customers that had purchased the previous model that had like this, you know, you had to like unscrew the battery and everything. They just gave them the insert. They sent it to them um, without making them order or like upsell or whatever. So in the same way, that's what we're doing to our contracts is consistently and, and constantly improving them and just giving that to our customers. We're not making them buy like version 3.0 and 4.5. And, you know, so it's just, it's really nice because they have that hopefully comfort and um, ability to, to come back and ask us any kind of questions that they have or like use guides that they want, um, any kind of support that they need. It's all there for them and it's, it's not going away. So I think that's why you would buy it from someone like us versus doing it for free online. Yeah. I wish I had had that when I started my business because I started out and wrote my own contract and I didn't just pull a free one online, but I definitely did not know what I know now. 
So I think it's awesome that you have kind of taken this big scary thing that people don't like to talk about and made it a little more comforting and not so scary and definitely easier to use for sure. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) So you kind of touched on this a little bit already, but um, how is a contract beneficial to both the business owner and the customer or client? How does it positively affect both sides? Yeah. Your, I mean, your contract has everything. Like I said, it's that list of expectations that each of you has of the other person. And personally, if something goes wrong, I want to be able to point back to the contract and remind the client. And I've had to do this. I have a service-based business. That's not the contract shop. And I've had to point back to the contract that the person signed. And I, I say, you know, like you, you did, you, you signed this, you initialed right next to this provision. And that's our policy. We have to enforce it. We do this with all of our clients. Um, and they, you know, usually they're like, oh, I forgot, I forgot, you know. And so it's a lot easier than saying, well, you know, you promised that you were going to pay me within 15 days of your invoice. And just to remind you, you know, like this passive aggressive thing that happens often, um, just to remind you, it's now 17 days after I invoiced you, you know, for the first time and sent you two reminders and I haven't seen anything from you. So it's just, it's so much easier, I think, to point at the contract and remind them that this is something that they willingly and, um, you know, hopefully agreeably, uh, you know, entered into with you and um, that, that you're really trying to do the best that you can by enforcing the policies or systems or whatever it is that you've set up uh, in order to benefit all of your clients, including this one. And so I, I just think that's so much easier to, to do than, like I said, to play the he said, she said game. I think it's a great trust building tool where you can actually point out and use it as a sales tool, um, point out like what you've put in there for the clients to make it beneficial for them. Tell them what you have in your contract or what you provide in your service that's listed in your contract under your services section that other people don't provide that offer the same or similar services as you. So this could really be a, uh, like I said, a trust building mechanism, because I think oftentimes the only experience that people have with the legal system is generally unfavorable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you get pulled over, you have a ticket and you have to go to court. Um, you know, you're getting a divorce, you're in some kind of child custody battle. Um, there's like some weirdo and you have to file a restraining order. Like that's usually the, the experience that most people outside of the business world have with attorneys and the legal world. And so, you know, it, even though you send a million contracts a year, um, to potential clients, your client might only sign like one or two contracts every year. And they might be really skeptical because this is the experience that most people have with the legal system or with legal things in general. So this is your opportunity to point out that you, you know, you're not trying to screw the person over. This isn't like a one-sided, like all for me and none for you. And you can point out how that's true and how you've made sure to protect the client as well. So for example, uh, we had a pushback from people and we've done a better job of explaining it at this point. But one of the things that I've always had in my contract templates is what happens if the service provider becomes unavailable and people are like, I would never be unavailable for my clients. I am super professional and always on time and blah, 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 blah. So I had to ask them like, well, what happens if you get pregnant and you're due on your wedding, the wedding date? And you know, they kind of just stared at me and they were like, oh, oh yeah, I guess that could happen. You know, so um, it, 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 there are things that happen and 
you become unavailable, whether it's, you know, you, you're fighting depression and you're not able to work or um, you find out that you're pregnant and the baby is due literally the day before your client's wedding. Um, so those kinds of things happen all the time. And, you know, we want to make sure that even though this isn't something bad, this isn't something um, that is going to make your work horrible or what like none of that it's it's a good thing you're having a baby you're getting married like happy things are happening um sometimes not so happy things but hopefully happy things and in that instance what like, like what's the client left with who's going to take over or do they have to find someone else at the last minute when everybody else is already booked um so that that's like something that my my customers are able to point out as a clause in our contract to their clients and say, look, if something happens to me, if, you know, God forbid I'm in a car accident or, you know, happy, yay, I finally get pregnant after years of trying or whatever. Um, they're able to point out that we've already considered the scenario and we have a solution for you. And it's just as good, if not better than the services that I would have provided you. Um, you know, I don't anticipate it happening, but otherwise I wouldn't sign this contract. But, you know, if that does happen, basically, you're not screwed, which I think a lot of service providers don't even consider this. And then, you know, 99% of the time they're fine, but in that 1% of time, they're just really left holding. Um, I don't know what like a good analogy would be for this, but they're just like really left like holding uh, a really bad scenario in their hands. And, you know, if they're struggling with something or dealing with something like a death in the family, now on top of that, they're trying to find scramble and find a replacement um, because they didn't consider it from the beginning. And so I think it's just, it's really important to point those kinds of things out in your contracts and show your clients how you're there because this is literally not a document that's ever meant to screw somebody else over. If it is, then it's probably not a legally valid contract because it's too one-sided. Um, it's, it's just there to make sure that each of you knows what you're responsible for and how those responsibilities are going to be carried out. Right. Yeah. And that's awesome advice. So we had a few listeners send in legal myths that they believe or don't know whether to believe. And so we just want to read them off and you can either confirm if you think they're true or just sort of debunk them as a myth in your opinion. So is it true that you absolutely have to get your contract directly from an attorney? No. <laughs> the, the reason why licensed attorneys exist, so I'm a licensed attorney. I'm licensed in the state of Georgia and hopefully Colorado soon. Um, but the reason why attorneys exist is that they can work out legal issues on someone else's behalf. You are always allowed, at least in the United States, to be, unless you're mentally incompetent or something like that, but you're always allowed to be your own attorney. Um, maybe you guys have heard of like pro se applicants or plaintiffs or defendants. Pro se just means for yourself, basically. Um, that's not the literal translation of it, but you're always allowed to be your own advocate. What my law license allows me to do is be an advocate for someone else. And so, you know, if you're, if you're create, like if you're critiquing and creating and helping um, a friend with their contract and sending those contracts on, on your friend's behalf, and you don't really have the permission to do that, like that's practicing law without a license, that's not allowed, but you're always allowed to create your own 
um, contracts or adapt them from say like a template that we sell or whatever. So no, you don't need it from an attorney. And in fact, I really don't like creating contract templates that are custom to a, a particular client. First of all, because it's like reinventing the wheel. So our contract templates have, you know, they've been down the road a few miles. Um, and here, here I am presented with this like brand new wheel that I have to give back to someone and just like hope they put it on their car and it works. Um, versus basically like crowdsource problems. People write in all the time and they say like, oh, I had a client who did this you know, how does your contract template help me with that? And we're able to uh, either help them with that problem or uh, adapt our contract templates to be more clearly worded or a better fit for that particular niche, like graphic designers or photographers or something. Um, so like one example of this is with wedding planners, um, which you can appreciate. They were really upset when we took out or we actually made it an optional provision to have something about the the mandatory meal. And that was like, that was like pitchforks, like the pitchfork army came out after us. Yeah. Um, and I get it, you know, like I've, like I said, I've worked weddings. Like I, I've been a second shooter. I've, I've worked at these weddings and, and seen what it's like to be there all day and you're not getting any food except for whatever you brought. And at some point that just becomes icky and gross and like warm and cold and whatever. So like we had to adapt and change that language based on the pitchfork army <laughs> and uh, which I, I so lovingly call them that like I totally get it now that I've, I've been in their shoes um, but yeah originally we we didn't I think we didn't have that in our our template and then we added it back in but see like those are the kinds of things that and the other okay so that was the first thing and then the second thing is like whenever I have a client come in um, I'm able to save a lot of money for the client because we're using one of my templates to start with. But then I, I just like, I'm basically, I feel like an, like an administrator almost. I don't even feel like an attorney because I'm just basically filling in the blanks for them and getting paid $350 an hour to do that. And it just seems silly to me. And I, it just, it's really uncomfortable. I don't like taking money from people for, you know, if I feel like they don't need it. And so I think if you want to create your own contract template, that's perfectly acceptable um, or adapt one. It does not have to come from an attorney. And in fact, the only really, uh, the only like contracts that I will ever take on as drafting or editing anymore are for more advanced business owners. So for example, I have a client who is a very famous photographer in the creative industry and she works with a lot of other photographers and she has this like amalgamation site. So kind of like a curation site. And so she had to have kind of complex licensing agreements in place with these other photographers that she works with. And so that was not appropriate for a template type scenario. But for everybody else, for your listener base, that's going to be totally fine, completely appropriate, and quite honestly, better, in my opinion, because like I said, it's been down the road a few times. Um, versus if you have some kind of large licensing deal that goes on for years and years or somehow severely restricts who else you can work with um, or there's a couple hundred thousand dollars on the line or you know you're like purchasing a business these are all indicators to me that this is more appropriate for an attorney and i wouldn't recommend people do that on their own either gotcha that's so interesting so you kind of already answered this one earlier. So I, I feel like we all already kind of know the answer, but I want to say it so that it's out there. Uh, is it true that contract verbiage has to be complicated? 
Absolutely not. I, in fact, it's, it, you, I can tell when a lawyer graduated from law school by reading their contracts because the older they are, the more likely they are to, or honestly, ugh, I hate to say this, but I can kind of tell like what law schools they went to as well, because the better newer, like the better law schools and the newer the attorney is, the more likely it is that they have a contract that people can actually read and understand. Um, if they went to kind of like a lower ranked law school or they graduated a while ago, um, and they haven't really kept up with things, which unfortunately a lot of attorneys just don't. Um, they usually have like the here unto, wherein, all that kind of legalese in their contracts. And it, it, it doesn't make sense to me to have a contract that people can't understand. Um, so, you know, for example, if you are buying a house and it's like two lawyers, right? Like the closing attorney um, and like the, the, the seller's agent attorney or whatever, like that makes sense to have a contract that has a lot of legalese and complicated provisions, et cetera. But you know, you're buying like a, a couple hundred thousand dollar asset and it's not necessarily you looking at this stuff. It's your attorney. Um, but you know, for, for basic client experience, experiences that we're dealing with, first of all, I mean, it's very rare that these are uh, more than like $50,000, right? And so I know that's not like an insignificant amount of money to lose, but it's not the cost of a house. Um, so, you know, there is an argument that it, it's just, it's better for you guys to be able to understand it. But, you know, more than that, for, for me, it's more about looking at the parties who are negotiating this contract and signing it. Because what good is it to have a document that people don't understand if they don't know what they're signing and they can't understand what they're agreeing to then is it even legally valid and that's where i get upset because i'm like i don't know if it is or not um you know arguably it could be if you really wanted to be a jerk and be like this all this legalese and everything in here makes it more official and you know you client signed this and you were okay with it and blah 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 but if they can show that they like clearly didn't understand it and they still signed it, um, you know, they, they might have some kind of argument that their work with you is not valid or that they are owed some kind of refund because they entered into a, an agreement without fully understanding the, the consequences or the benefits of that arrangement. So that, that to me is what makes it really important that both of you can understand it. Um, and then, like I said, it's not like there's this <laughs> house at stake. And I know it's not like an insignificant amount of money. I'm not trying to just like poo poo it and be like, Oh, like it's just a couple thousand dollars. But at the same time, like in the scheme of things overall in life, it is usually just a couple thousand dollars at stake, which makes a contract important to have. Um, but you know, for example, like it, it, we have to look at the context of the situation and say, is this language appropriate for the people that are looking at it and negotiating it um, and signing it? And, you know, if that's a seller's agent for a house with a closing attorney for the buyer, then yeah, like maybe that's completely appropriate to have a 48 page contract that has a ton of legalese and very specific provisions. Um, but, you know, if it's a $2,000 logo design project, that's a bit of overkill. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's there's not like a right or wrong answer personally, and I'm I'm very vocal about this, but it's my opinion that you guys need to be understanding your own contract that that's not like too crazy or far out there to 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 have in your life. And if you don't understand your contract, that's why the contract shop is there to help people. Yeah, that's awesome. 
So this one, I think is going to kind of be a little specific to the situation, but you can just sort of give us your opinion on it. So this was specifically a wedding vendor. Um, and she said, if the mother of, I guess the bride or groom signs the contract, is it true that the bride and groom are not my client? I love this question and it, it is a little more specific than others, but um, I still think it's important and it's one that I actually get a lot. Um, so signing contracts, it sounds so simple, right? Like you just, you fill it in with your finger these days with electronic contracts and, uh, or, you know, click a button and your signature is automatically filled in or whatever. Like it seems so simple, but it, there's kind of two uh, complications to signing contracts versus how is that going to happen? And I think for the most part, we figured that out now that it's, it's almost 2019. The second thing is who is actually going to sign that contract and what does that mean? And so that's really what this question is about. And the truth is that as an attorney, I'm usually looking to get as many people as possible to sign on the dotted line because each one of those people are jointly and severally liable for basically paying me. Um, but that also means that I have to serve each of them as if they are the client. And so oftentimes with wedding vendors, mom and dad will be signing the contract or, you know, or more often what I really see is the bride and groom sign the contract and then the check comes from mom or dad. So that's kind of complicated for two reasons, because first of all, if only the bride and groom are signing the contract and mom and dad are actually paying for all this and you know that, well, you technically have a contract with mom or dad separate and apart from the bride and groom and it has no terms or conditions of your working relationship together. So they could just like up and leave anytime or make demands that are unreasonable because you don't have a contract in place with them. So I do think it's important to get mom or dad or whoever's paying if you know that, right? Like if bride and groom are paying, you have no reason to think that mom or dad are giving them any money, et cetera, et cetera. Fine, bride and groom sign. Um, but if for whatever reason, you know that this money is coming from someone else, grandpa, grandma, mom, dad, friend, <laughs> brother, whatever, um, it's important to have those people on there as well so that they are also subject to your working relationship terms, um, the cancellation policies, the payment policies, the uh, refund policies, the, if any, you know, the services that, that you're agreeing to, that kind of thing. Um, and so it is a little bit complicated and I don't have a great clean, you know, perfectly tie the bow on top answer for this, but essentially anybody that signs the contract or could have signed and you know, they're part of that working relationship, you know, in the instance where bride and groom signed, but mom and dad are paying, uh, their mom and dad's name is clearly on the check, that kind of thing. There is an obligation that's created there for the service provider to, uh, provide the service according to how each of the clients wants it done. And so what I think is um, a more advanced business move, but could definitely be done by somebody who's a little bit newer is just to have that conversation with the bride and groom early on and say, I want this to be the experience that you really love and enjoy. So what I suggest is that if you have, uh, and I'm not saying you have to do this again, I'm not giving advice. This is just like what I would do if I were in the situation. Um, you guys can take it or leave it. But I would be talking to that bride and groom and I would be telling them that if mom and dad are paying, and I know that as a service provider, I also have to uh, fulfill mom and dad's wishes, whatever those might be, uh, just as much as yours, because they're also technically a client at that point, legally speaking. <laughs> 
obviously we could like really split this with a fine tooth comb and like go into it. But the conversation that I would just have is, um, you know, whoever signs the contract has to be the one who pays me. And so I can't accept payment from someone else. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to ask you, I don't want you to tell me, but if mom and dad are paying, that needs to come to you first. And then to me, I don't want to know who's paying. I just want to service the people that are on the agreement. And so that's the conversation that I would have with the bride and groom, basically like a don't ask, don't tell kind of thing. Um, but being very candid about why that is, which is you don't, you, you want this to be the bride or the, the bride and groom's vision. You don't want it to be like mother of the groom's vision. Um, and you don't want to be put in a legal situation where you, you're legally obligated to fulfill the mother of the groom's vision um, just as equally as the brides or something like that. That's so smart. And I'm so excited for everybody to hear this. Cause I think that, I think that's a big question, especially, I mean, I can speak to the wedding industry pretty heavily, but I think there's a lot of people that would apply to. So I think, I think everybody will be excited to hear your, just your ideas and your thoughts on that. So I have a little lightning round that I like to ask everybody at the end. And it's just things that I'm kind of curious about. So are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. What is the first thing that you do when you wake up in the morning? <sighs> I like, I want to give you guys the Instagram answer, but I'm just going to give you the real answer. The first thing I do every morning is I have to pee like a racehorse. <laughs> so I go to the bathroom <laughs> and then I wash my night guard off. Like, so not cute, <laughs> or, you know, like, ugh. it's totally Instagram worthy. What are you talking about? <laughs> I want to see that in your Instagram stories. Every Actually, well, I'm, I'm not on video peeing, but I do have an Instagram story <laughs> about my, my morning routine. That's it's in my highlights. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. What is your go-to snack during the work day? Oh my gosh. Bulletproof bars are, they're like a lifesaver. I buy them by the case and they now come in four flavors. Uh, excuse me, five flavors. And they're all amazing. <laughs> Sounds good. What is one item that you absolutely cannot live without? Uh, some, I mean, like lamely my phone, but honestly, you guys don't want to hear that. You already know that. Um, <laughs> I am addicted to tool pens, T-U-L. They have ballpoint or uh, not fountain, but you know what I mean? Like the, the inky ones. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I can't think of the word right now. I am addicted to the way that they write. So if you are like a stationary hoarder, like I am, you have to go and invest in some tool. I love the ballpoint pens. Um, yeah. Interesting. I love that answer. That's so unique. Uh, what is your favorite quote or the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Oh, man, that's a good one. I don't know if this is the best, but I saw it the other day and somebody sent an email with a Gary V quote in it. And it was like, how much more effing motivation do you people need? And it was so good because I was like, wow, yeah, like I, I definitely use motivation or like, I don't have motivation today. I use that as a procrastination technique or tool or whatever. And like, like how much more motivation do I need? I won the lottery. I live in America. I like, I don't, I have to worry about like, whether my food is gluten-free or not, like not, not whether my water has parasites in it. And like, why, why do I need more motivation than that? It's <laughs> just like a, a great snap back to reality. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing 
all of your advice. This has been amazing. So tell everybody uh, where they can find you, your websites and Instagram and just give us all the stuff. Sure. Yeah. The best place to find me is at thecontractshop.com. And if you go to thecontractshop.com forward slash quiz, you can actually find out where you're at in your business. So you can find out whether you are on the right track or what gaps you have to fill. And we won't just leave you hanging. You can fill those gaps in. Um, some of the resources we offer you are paid, some are free, but either way, you'll know like what to do from there. You'll have a game plan. And the other place you can find me is on Instagram. Um, my handle's at Christina Scalera, just my name, but also at The Contract Shop, pretty much on any social platform. Um, so if you want more of my like silly hijinks, then follow me. <laughs> Um, if you prefer more like professional cleaned up business stuff that you can actually do stuff with, then follow the contract shop and then um, join our La La Land Facebook group. It's LAW, LAW Land. And we have so much free content in there that it's just ridiculous. Um, I'm like, no secret, just trying to bribe you guys all to join it. And it's real. it's the best of the best. It's stuff that I, I've had slated for courses and paid content and all this other stuff. And I'm like, nah, I'm just going to give it to the members there. So find us on Facebook at La La Land. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Well, seriously, thank you so much for coming on here and just sharing your expertise and just ideas and tips and all the stuff. It's been really awesome. And I know all of our listeners are really going to love it. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me, Haley. That's it for this time, ladies. But if you have just a minute, it would make my day if you would write a review and share how much you love this podcast so that we can keep bringing you the best of the best. If you're not already subscribed to the newsletter or following along on Instagram, you can find me at Haley Luckadoo on all social media and at HaleyLuckadoo.net for this episode's show notes, the blog, the shop, and pretty much all the good stuff. I'll be bringing you a new episode very soon, but until then, keep reaching for those dreams that set your soul on fire.